All right, we can be taking our Bibles and turning to the book of John, chapter 10. The book of John, chapter 10. Lord willing, after today, we'll have two more messages here in this chapter. And Jesus is bringing before us a contrast between the religious leaders of that day and Himself. And this morning we're going to be looking at the fact that He is the door and He is the Good Shepherd. But He is really contrasting Himself to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians that were the rulers, the shepherds of that day. And the interesting thing is, is that a true under-shepherd will bear the characteristics of the great shepherd. And of course, it will not be in perfection. That day is much later, but their heart and their passion will take on the characteristics of the one that they're being conformed into. And of course, even all of us as believers are also going to be taking on the characteristics that we're going to see of the great shepherd as we are being conformed into his image also. So I'm going to begin reading in John chapter 10 and verse 1, although our text this morning will be verses 7 through 21. Jesus again is addressing the Pharisees that he had been talking to in the previous chapter. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke unto them. Then Jesus said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep." The hireling flees because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father." There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He has a devil and is mad. Why do you hear him? 
Others said, these are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And so the result of these words was division. John chapter 10 in the first 18 verses is an illustration and a denunciation of the Pharisees. They are called shepherds. They are the rulers of that day. We might want to call them the pretending under-shepherds. And they were pretending and claiming to be representing the Lord to His professing people. And the connection that Jesus brings out between a true under-shepherd and a true sheep is His voice. You'll notice that when you look at verse 3, when it says, To him, that is the under-shepherd, to him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him. Why? Because they don't know the voice of a stranger. Verse 8, All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Verse 16, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. Verse 27, My sheep hear my what? My voice. And so the connection here between an under-shepherd and the sheep is a proper voice. And of course we know as we go into this chapter, John chapter 10, that the under-shepherd is to be echoing whose voice? The true shepherd, capital S. The good shepherd. The one who lays down his life for the sheep. And so there is something in every genuine, true, born-again person, there's something in their soul, even if it's immature, that recognizes His voice. Just like a baby would recognize the voice of its mother. Just like in many animal situations. I was watching a documentary on these penguins up in the uh, Arctic area. And it's amazing. You look out over this vast field. And I don't know. There may have been a million penguins out there. And they all have hatchlings. And in one case, the dad goes off and gets food and brings it to him. In another case, the female goes off and brings food. And it's amazing. You've got, you got a million penguins out there. And here comes dad. He's all swollen with food. He's going to give the food to the chicklings. And I don't know. I, they don't think like this. But here he is. He goes up and he says, oh, there's a million out there. And i got to find my, my chicklings. And do you know what? They do. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. God's put it in them, but <clears throat> they recognize. Somehow, some way, you and I wouldn't recognize it, but somehow, some way, and one of their little chicks goes away and it starts squawking and making noise, and all of a sudden, here comes mom. There's a knowledge inherent within genuine sheep, when they hear the echo of the words of the great shepherd. And that is the connection. J.C. Ryle wrote concerning these first few verses, he said, Christ is my door, through Christ I win your heart. The porter opens the hearts of God's people to the preaching of God's Word. Now these false under-shepherds, of which Jesus calls a stranger, these false under-shepherds Jesus calls thieves and robbers. 
And that's going to be very helpful when we get down, we'll just jump ahead a little bit in the message when we get down to verse 10. Verse 10 commonly is preached that the thief is the devil. But the thief in verse 10 are the thieves and the robbers mentioned in verse 1. That is these false under-shepherds. And of course, we can extrapolate. They have the characteristics of their father, which is the devil. No question about that. But he's talking about these scribes and Pharisees and Herodians, the rulers of that day who pretended to teach God's people God's word. Every sheep, genuine sheep, needs an under-shepherd. Every one. And genuine sheep have a hearing ear and a following foot. And of course, you'll notice that. Verse 4, he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know His voice. So there is a following foot and a hearing ear. And brethren, this is one of the ways that we can measure ourselves. Do we have that motivation? We read for our scripture reading the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, He that hears my words and what? Does them. I will show you what that man is like. True sheep need a shepherd, and true sheep have a hearing ear and a following foot. Now the question is, who is the true shepherd, and who is the great shepherd of the sheep? And that is what our Lord is going to bring before us here this morning. In verses 7 through 10, he will say that he is the door by which he is saved. And then in verses 11 and following, he's going to say that he is the good shepherd. He's not explaining the first five verses of this chapter, but he is moving on to give to us certain dominant features of shepherding, such as he's the door, he's the shepherd. And then in verses 16 and following, he's going to talk about his own sheep. So first of all, in verses 7 through 10, we have this truth. That Jesus Christ our Lord is the door by whom we are to be saved. Now brethren, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians did not understand this. And the reason why we know that they don't understand this is because of verse 6. Remember what our Lord has previously taught. He says, This parable spoke Jesus unto them. The them are who? The Pharisees. He spoke this unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke to them. Now when you're talking about not understanding something, you're talking about blindness. And you'll recall that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, or in other words, the eyes of our understanding, we come to know certain things about Him. They couldn't understand. And the reason was there was no light in them. And of course, Jesus says that in John chapter 9 and verse 40. He says, some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, are we blind also? And the answer was yes, they were blind. They didn't understand. And when we're talking about being blind, and we're talking about being deaf, we're talking about here's a person that when the Word of God is preached, it doesn't even really register in their ears. They're distracted. They're thinking about the things of the day. They're wanting to be motivated on some worldly, superficial level. Tell a good illustration to try to keep my attention. 
Now, good illustrations are helpful. But what really gets the attention of true sheep is the accurate echo of the voice. That's what they recognize. These Pharisees were blind and they were deaf, even though, now listen to this, even though Jesus Christ himself was speaking to them. It wasn't like Paul was speaking to them or Peter was speaking to them, some sinful but saved man speaking to them. This is Yahweh in the flesh. This is God in human flesh speaking to them. And they did not hear. And they did not understand. Now, brethren, if you're speaking to someone who is blind and deaf, then it just makes sense that what you're going to talk about next is how to be saved. And so, in verse 7, Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Herodians, He said to them again, He takes them up in His address and says, Verily, verily, He's putting an emphasis here. Pay attention to this. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Verily, verily, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then he's going to say it again in verse 9. I am the door. Now folks, you can't get more plain than that, can you? I'm the door. I am the opening by which you can be saved. I am that which will allow you to enter into the sheepfold. Now folks, these professing religious leaders were thieves and robbers. He's going to repeat that again. Look at verse 8. I'm the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are what? Thieves and robbers. That takes you back to the beginning of this chapter. And the sheep did not hear them. Why did the sheep not hear them? Because they don't know the voice of the strangers. The professing religious leaders of the day are thieves and robbers and the sheep refuse to hear them. And folks, do we have that today? Do we have religious leaders and they are not echoing His voice and true sheep will not listen to them? Now, a thief is one who <clears throat> steals by deceit. We covered this last Lord's Day. Who would be an example of being a thief? Well, Judas would be, right? What was Judas doing? He was stealing out of the bag. Was he doing it openly? No, nobody suspected him. He was doing it by stealth. He was doing it by deceit. He was doing it secretively. These religious leaders <clears throat> were thieves. They were taking from the people by deceit. And they were robbers. And we talked about this again last week. A robber doesn't steal by deceit. A robber steals by violence. They're the ones that just come and accost you openly, forcefully taking from you whatever they want. And of course, we have an example of that in our New Testament. Barabbas was called a thief, was called a robber. He had a gang of people with him. They would have caused people as they went out into the highways. They would beat them. They would cast them down. They would take their possessions. They're doing it by violence. And of course, Jesus would stay, say in another place, 
that they had made the temple of God a den of thieves and what? Robbers. This was the condition of the scribes and the Pharisees in that day. And folks, you'll notice in verse 8 that Jesus says, all, all that ever came before me are. He didn't say they were. He's not talking about everyone who was ever an under-shepherd in the land of Israel from the days of Moses all the way up to now, that all of them were thieves and robbers. No, he says, all that ever came before me, right there in that day, God in human flesh, those existing shepherds of Israel, they are all thieves and robbers. That is an amazing statement. And it is an infallible statement by our Lord. Now folks, He's the door. Could could the thief come to Christ and be saved? Yes. Could the robber come to Christ and be saved? Yes. We have an example of one in John chapter 3, Nicodemus. And he does end up coming to Christ. Later on in the book of Acts, it says many of those who were the leaders of that day did come to accept Christ as their Messiah and Lord. But at this point in Jesus' ministry, all that were right there in front of Him are thieves and robbers. Now how would you like to be a Pharisee right now? Listening to Him talk to you this way. Well, I'll tell you what the Pharisee would be thinking. That's not true of me. Which is another evidence they were not hearing His what? They were not hearing His voice. Later on, or previous to this in John chapter 8, they actually argue with Jesus over His teaching. These people needed to come through the door. So if any man at any time will come through that door, look at verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in through that door, which is who? Christ, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And folks, if any man enters through the door by Christ, you are entering into this type of sheepfold. You're entering into a sheepfold of safety. Of safety. Folks, the world is a dangerous place. Every day, death is after you. You believe that? Every day you're trying to keep your body alive. Every day you're trying to prevent something from happening. Every day you're installing safety measures in your on your car so that if you have an accident, you don't what? You don't die. You're getting insurance so that if someone in your family dies or you die, you'll make provision for the family. You're trying to do everything you can out in this world because you know inherently, you may not be having it conscientiously in the forefront of your mind, but you know this is a dangerous world. Could you die in a car wreck? Could you wake up tomorrow and your spouse gone? Could your life be altered by some circumstance coming against you? Folks, are there people with disabilities? 
You could have a stroke when? Any moment. You could lose the ability to speak. You could lose the ability to walk. Folks, you could lose your mind by a microbe in your body. At any moment and at any time. But if you would enter in by the door into His sheepfold, and you enter in that door by Christ Himself, you would be safe. Because folks, if you die in Christ, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is that you will wake up before His face entirely whole. And He's going to go on and say in this chapter, My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, and nothing is able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. All the dangerous things of life, the thieves, the robbers, the evil one himself, you would be safe from all that. You would have your sins forgiven because that is our ultimate enemy, is our own transgressions. Because the soul that sins shall die. People who enter in by the door through the shepherd of the sheep are kept from the evil one. Jesus prays this in John chapter 17 and verse 15. I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world. But I am asking you that you would keep them from the evil one. Folks, that's safety. That is security. If you would enter in through the door by the shepherd of the sheep, by Jesus Christ Himself, you would not only be safe, but you would be free. Look at what it says here. I am the door, verse 9. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and you will find what? You will find pasture. You, You can't help but think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Don't you love this phrase? He restores my soul. Are you thirsty and famished? His waters will restore you. You hungry for transformation to be changed into His image? He's the bread of life which will nourish you. Folks, you would have the freedom to go in and out in safety. Christ is not going to allow any thief and robber to come over the wall into the sheepfold. He will not allow anything to come into our lives as genuine believers that will ever take us out of His hand. That is a great comfort. That no matter what our circumstances are, the shepherd of the sheep is with us. Nothing enters into our life except as is filtered through Him. So that ultimately, not that the circumstance is good, but it will produce good. in our lives. Our whole life, our speech, our behavior, our labor, our rest, the beginning of every day, the ending of every day, 
while we close our eyes to sleep, it is safety. If you will enter in through the door into the sheepfold. Now why is this safe? <clears throat> well, because there's thieves and robbers out there. Look at verse 10. The thief comes not, but for this purpose, to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, brethren, we know that that is true of the devil, isn't it? But he's not talking to the devil. He's talking to the religious leaders of that day. They're the ones that are bearing the characteristics of their father, which is the devil. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about that Satan has ministers of unrighteousness. And they're like the devil himself. They appear as if they're angels of light. And of course in our scripture reading, very early in our Lord's ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, beware, beware of false prophets. Why? Their clothing is the clothing of a sheep. But inside, inside, they are ravening wolves. And he's going to talk about wolves later on here in this chapter. So folks, are there religious leaders, are there people who masquerade as believing people? Yes. But inside, they are ravening wolves who are out to steal. Remember, that's by secrecy to steal, to kill, to destroy. They're the ones that when a, believe, when a person becomes a believer, they're the ones that are telling them all about the great secrets of the Christian life, bringing up all the controversies for them to get involved in. They're trying to stumble them up. And you know, anyone who you've had the privilege of leading to the Lord, you know nobody cares for them until they profess Christ. And then all of a sudden, everybody comes out of the woodwork trying to be their shepherd. Jesus Christ did not come to steal. He did not come <clears throat> to kill. And He did not come to destroy. What did He come for? Verse 10. I am come that they, that is the sheep, might have life. That implies that they're what? That they're dead in trespasses and sins. I'm come so the sheep might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now we've got to pause and ask ourselves about this verse. <clears throat> what does it mean to have abundant life? Well, <clears throat> the word abundant life refers to something that exceeds the necessity right it's not the necessities of life it's an abundant life what is the life that he's talking about is it folks is it your best life now in the world is it cars and lands and houses and salary and money and retirement and vacations and 
position in the company. Is this what he's talking about? That he came giving his life for the sheep so that they might, they might have life. And they might have a more abundant life. No troubles in life. Everything's secure. Folks, you know that that's not what he means when he says that they might have life and have it more abundantly. What is he referring to? He is referring to what we know of as eternal life. Eternal life. Folks, life in this world is very temporary, isn't it? You could live three score. You could live to be 60. You could live to be 70. You could live to be 80. You, you, there are those who even reach above 100. Can't imagine. Could you imagine living 900 years? That would be depressing. <laughs> Folks, life here is temporary. It's insecure. It's dangerous. But eternal life is how long? Is it temporary? It is the life of God. He's the only eternal being. It's the partaking of His nature. Jesus Christ did not come to take from you. He did not come to kill you. He did not come to destroy you. He did not come to execute the death penalty over you. He came at His first coming so that this possibility would exist. That a person could have eternal life. And folks, eternal life, by its very nature, is an abundant life. When we say that God is good, is God good? Okay, if I was to ask you, how good is He? You couldn't answer that question. Because whatever you think about the goodness of God... His goodness exceeds that. You could say to yourself, God is love. And to whatever degree you understand His divine love and His sacrificial love as seen in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever, whatever level of understanding and possession that you have of that, well, that's part of eternal life. But His love exceeds that. God is eternal and God is infinite. There is no measure of this. There's a depth and a height and a width and a length of this. And if you look at the length, it just keeps going. And you look at the depth, it just keeps going. And the height of it, it just keeps going. You want to know His love? It's eternal. It's infinite. And when you're talking about these attributes of God, who God is, when you talk about God being in the soul of a fallen human being, that life itself is abundant life. He's not talking materially. Because the person standing before them is eternal life. Did Jesus have multiple cars and lands and retirement of the council? Did He have all that? But did he have abundant life? God in human flesh. Folks, this is the life that he's talking about. He's talking about a life 
that is his own. It is his own. It's that life that bears the fruit that will let us know whether a person's a true or false teacher. It's not by what he's done or the miracles that he can do or the great hospitals that he can build or the great churches that he can do. It's fruit. A good tree brings forth what kind of fruit? Good fruit. And when you hear him say tree, you ought to be thinking Psalm 1. He's like a tree planted beside living waters that bears its fruit in due season. This is the life that he's talking about. This is the abundant life that he's giving to us. We become vessels of the glory of God. We become vessels of the knowledge like we see in the face of Jesus Christ. And folks, this Christ is not interested in what you have. He owns all. As Isaiah would say, if he was hungry, he wouldn't tell you. Why? It's all his. But what he does do is he gives, he gives his life so that you might live. It's an amazing thing. And folks, what is true of Christ is true of genuine under-shepherds. Under-shepherds are interested in giving to you the true riches of this life. They're interested in you coming to know and grow up in Him in all things. And a true under-shepherd is willing to give up his life so that you might know and have those things. Just like the good shepherd. It's a denying of one's own self so that sheep may be nourished and fed. Jesus Christ Himself does this. So is He the door? Folks, He's the door. He's the only door. There is no other door by which we might be saved. Secondly, He is the Good Shepherd. Verses 11 through 13. He is the Good Shepherd because He gives His life for the sheep. Now, folks, we got to ask a question. You may not have thought of this or you may have just now thought of this. How in the world can He be a door and the shepherd (laughs) at the same time. (laughs) So you say, well, that's easy. He's the Lord. He can do whatever He wants to do. Well, that's true. But remember, He's using an illustration to try to communicate something. How can He be a door and the shepherd? Well, according to what I've read, in the Middle East, in his day, a shepherd would take his flock of sheep and at night, toward time when the sun was going down, he would take those sheep and he would move them into some type of four-walled enclosure. Now, he might make that out of bramble branches or whatever. Don't think concrete wall, okay? but he would put them into some type of four-walled enclosure. And in that enclosure, it would have an opening. Now, when I say opening, don't think a door with a doorknob on it. What I mean by opening is there would be a place where 
one, one way that you could get into that sheepfold and only one way you could get what? You could get out. So after the sun went down <clears throat> and the shepherd ensured that he had all the sheep <clears throat> inside that enclosure, <clears throat> inside that fold, what the shepherd would do is that he would lie down across the opening of the entrance into that sheepfold. So you got this opening, just this opening, and then he would lie down. He probably put a blanket or some kind of cloth on the ground or whatever, and then he would lie down. In effect, he becomes the what? The door. And folks, by doing that, it ensured that no sheep could exit that sheepfold. Because the only way the sheep could exit is what happens. He's got to get over the shepherd that's lying across the entryway into that sheepfold. So if a sheep tried to get out, the shepherd would awake. He's keeping the flock, isn't he? But folks, here's the more important thing. No wolf could get into the sheepfold unless the wolf went through the what? Went through the shepherd. Because there will only be one way into that sheepfold, and that's through that entryway. It's not a door with a knob, it's the shepherd himself. And the wolf would have to go over that shepherd's body in order to do it. That's how Jesus can be the shepherd and the what? And the door at the very same time. Now that ought to really give us security. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The word for the sheep means on behalf of the sheep. He's talking about a substitutionary atonement. He'll say it again, not only in verse 11, he'll say it again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep, and am known of mine. Folks, a good shepherd lays down his life. Why? He cares about what? And folks, God cares about the sheep. God cares about you. And in contrast to the true shepherd, Jesus Christ giving his life for the sheep is the hireling, verses 12 and 13. He that is a hireling, this is someone who has no interest in the sheep, he really doesn't know the sheep, he's doing it for what? He's doing it for money. But the hireling, who's not the shepherd, who's owned the sheep or not, he sees the wolf coming, verse 12, and he abandons the sheep and he flees. And then the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. Why does the hireling flee? Verse 13. Because that's who he is. He doesn't care about the sheep. But Jesus does care about the sheep. And He cares about you. Now folks, did Jesus do that? Jesus gathered His few disciples in an upper room. He takes them out to the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays those three agonizing prayers. 
He gets up. Who's coming? A thief. Isn't he? He's coming with a band of soldiers that are going to take Jesus by violence like robbers. And Jesus says, do you come? Do you come here like I'm a thief and a robber? And folks, do you remember what our Lord said? He told them in the upper room that the shepherd was going to be slain and the sheep was going to be scattered, but he had prayed for them. And of course, the person we know that he prayed for was who? Was Peter. And do you remember what our Lord told those thieves and robbers? you remember what He told Judas and that gang there that had come with clubs and all that? He said, if you want Me, take Me, but let the who go. Let the sheep go. He gave His life for the protection of who? The sheep. If you want Me, take Me. Did they take Him? And they took Him to the den of thieves and robbers and they mocked Him. They spat on Him. They beat Him. He opened not His mouth like a sheep being led to the slaughter. And folks, he not only was a shepherd, he was a sheep. He took on human nature and human personality. They took the good shepherd, laid a beam of wood on him, took him out to Gethsemane, to Gargotha, raised him between heaven and earth, took the one who had only done good, only done good, only done good, Don't let the world deceive you. Well, if you would be better, if you would be gooder, it's not a word, if you would be gooder, then then we, we wouldn't be fussing about you. Don't believe it! They took the one who was good and only did good, and they hung him on a tree. And the thieves and the robbers mocked him. You say you trusted in God. Well, let God deliver you now if He has pleasure in you. The sheep weren't on that cross. Our shepherd was on the cross. And He did it for you and for me. Take me, death, and let the sheep go free. That's a good shepherd, isn't it? And folks, genuine under-shepherds bear the same characteristics. And genuinely saved people bear the same characteristics. Their concern is not for themselves first. It's for other believers. Folks, the hireling leaves because the hireling is only interested in what he can gain from the position. Remember, the thieves come to steal and to kill and to destroy. J.C. Ryle wrote, The true pastor's first care is for his sheep. The false pastor's first thought is himself. That's very insightful, isn't it? Folks, our Lord is the door. I beseech you to enter in by the door. Don't try to climb up over the fence. He's the good shepherd. 
And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. His first thought is not for himself, it's for the will of God. His first thought is not for himself, it's for the sheep, even if it cost him his own life. This was David's heartbeat. You remember our Lord saying, David is a man after my own what? After my own heart. He's the one who grabbed the bear and slew him and grabbed the lion. He didn't run away. And then lastly, a good shepherd knows his sheep. Verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. You may have never had this come to you forcefully, but Jesus knows you. Lost people don't like that. They're trying to hide. Jesus Christ, our Good Shepherd, knows your name. He knows your home situation in which you live. He knows your personal history. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your fears. He knows your sinfulness. Right or wrong? He knows you. Folks, we act like He doesn't know us. How, how can I appear before Your throne, O oh God? My sins, my sins. What, you think He doesn't know? Yes, we have to confess our sins. Yes, we should do our best to walk in the light as He's in the light. The blood cleanses us from all sin. But He already knows that. He knew your sinfulness and the depths of your sinfulness before you were born. He knows the sins you're going to commit tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. He knows the fears that grip your soul. He knows everything about you. In fact, folks, He knows you better than you know yourself. And He has the ability that if you have some deficiency and you need it tomorrow, He'll give it to you. He's the good shepherd. And this knowledge between Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, and His sheep is likened to the same intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. He says, verse 14, I know my sheep and am known to mine, verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so know I the Father. Folks, He knows everything about you, right? You don't know everything about Him, but you know enough about Him that you could say, I know Him, because He gave you eyes to see and ears to hear His voice. And His knowledge of Himself is eternal life, John 17, 3. And that knowledge that changes us into His likeness will change the way we look at life. John would write in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, if you see a brother has need, and we're talking about a genuine need, we're not talking like you'd like to have an ice cream. But there's a genuine need and you say, I'll pray for you. And you have the means to supply the need, and you don't do it? How dwells the love of God in you? 
Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect in this. But isn't that what Christ did? He gave everything for you. How can you and I say to ourselves that we are believers, that we're like Him, when we're grabbing everything for ourselves? And His under-shepherds are like that. And folks, He's not doing this by constraint. Verse 15, He lays down His life for the sheep. Verse 17, Therefore does my Father love me. The Father loves the Son. Why? A lot of reasons, but here in this passage... Therefore does my Father love me because I laid down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me. I lay it down of who? I lay it down of my own, myself. I'm doing this. It's voluntary. I'm not under constraint. I delight to do this. I want to do your will, O God. Now, I'm going to confess to you, that's hard for me as a fallen human being who's born again to really understand. I understand it, but there's elements, vast elements of it, that I just don't get my mind around. He has the authority to lay it down. He has the authority to take it again. Where did the authority come from? It came from the Father's commandment to the Son. Folks, when Jesus bowed His head in worship and said, Father, into Thy hands I commit My Spirit, it was His own free volition to surrender His body to death. It's amazing. He who had never known death, He who is life eternal, surrendered His body on behalf of the sheep. Nobody and nothing took the life of Christ. He laid it down Himself. And folks, He's doing that for you and for me. <clears throat> Look at verse 16. Other sheep I have, <clears throat> which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. When he says not of this fold, what he's referring to is, it's not of the saved remnant of Israel. Salvation is of the Jews. That's where Jesus came, did he not? He came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. There's other sheep outside of the saved remnant of Israel. And folks, do you know who they are? Many of you are sitting here right now because of His goodness. And He says... I must, I must, I must bring them into this fold. And folks, there's not two folds. There's not Jewish believers and Gentile believers. There's not Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles. There's one fold. And you remember from Ephesians, the barrier was tore down at the cross of Christ. There's one fold. How many shepherds? One shepherd. And He gave His life for us. And it is interesting, in my Bible I just go over one page, but if you go over to John chapter 12, it is interesting when we read, in beginning in verse 20, <clears throat> 
there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. So are they Jews? No, they're not Jews. They're Greeks. They're Gentiles. Verse 21, The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip comes and tells Andrew, and Andrew and Philip come and tell Jesus. And look at his response. Verse 23, The hour has come. Other sheep I have. And now those other sheep are beginning to hear about Him. And they want to see Jesus. And He said, The hour has come. I will lay down my life like a corn of wheat. And if I lay down my life like a corn of wheat, it's going to bear much fruit. For the glory of God. Now folks, what do, you, what do you think about that message? Well, that message was divisive. It says in verse 19, there was a division, therefore again. This isn't the first division. It was a division again among the Jews for what he had just taught. Does the Word of God bring forth division? It does. And here's where the division lay in this instance. Many of them, so this would be the majority, said he has a demon. He's insane. Why do you even listen to this guy? Folks, can you imagine? Can you imagine going into prayer this afternoon, lifting your eyes up to heaven and calling God a demon? That's what they did. There were others that said, Look, <clears throat> these can't be the words of him that have a devil. I don't really understand it, but I do understand this. How can a devil open the eyes of one born blind? Referring to John 9. And last night, no, it wasn't last night. Yesterday afternoon, I took the book of John and I wrote down all the division that was over him. They accused him of being insane. They accused him uh, his teaching to be demonic. They accused him of being a lawbreaker. They accused him of blasphemy. He had great numbers of people leave over his teaching. Some people said he was good. Some people said that he was a deceiver. They said he was possessed of the devil. They called him a Samaritan. Does that sound like all welcoming? This was the response to his voice. And folks, you and I need to respond properly to the voice of the shepherd. Do you know Him? Do you have that abundant life? Or have you tried to climb over the wall? This is the question that we have from the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pray.